0: Ahoy there, and welcome to Sweet Child of Time. We're doing 1899, episode four, The Fight. I'm here with my co host, he's Nate. Ahoy there, Nate.
1: Ahoy, Steve. (laughs) Thank you, Captain.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know that I'm the captain of the ship here, and I call you my first mate. I don't want to see any mutiny happen in this episode, okay? I need you to keep straight. I saw what happened with the Sauce Boss. I don't want the same thing happening with you here. Okay, Nate.
1: I think we'll be all right.
0: Okay, good. You know who the captain is,
1: right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You doing okay, Nate? Peachy keen. How about yourself?
0: Pretty good. I'm enjoying the hell out of the show as usual. And I, I got spoiled by something. It wasn't a big deal. Um, it was just basically just an image that didn't really have any kind of um, pertaining to anybody. I won't tell you what it is, but what happened was, and I warn you not to do this, is um, I saw what looked like a clean, you know, little meme to look at. Because it, it was just like the cat, a couple of the cast members hanging out like in their regular clothes with their regular hair and stuff like that. And then one of them started talking about a scene And uh, this particular character was doing a particular thing, (laughs) and I guess that's all I can say. And I saw that, and he was talking in depth about this particular scene and like how it felt doing that. Um, So I got trapped into seeing an image of this. And like I said, when we get to it, I don't know when it's going to come up, but when we get to it, I'll say that's what I saw. It doesn't have anything to do with the plot, but it happens. Like it's really easy to trip into a a spoiler with this show. Have you tripped into any spoilers yet?
1: No, because I avoid my roommates, and <laughs> it's well, just for that reason. Not not like I avoid them in general. That sounded really rude. Um, <laughs> yep, that <laughs> was that was my fault. Um, no, because I don't I don't really have like a lot of. 1899 stuff on any of my social media feeds or anything like that so that's a plus one point for me and we're going to take one away from you for spoiling stuff for yourself
0: hmm okay that's fair i think it's a plus one for me and minus one for you for not going to these 1899 sites and promoting the heck out of our show but that's okay nobody wants an annoying dude promoting a show anyway so i understand how that is (laughs) <laughs> All right, I think
1: we're I think we're even then.
0: <laughs> yeah, we are. We're not going to fight, because that's what this episode is about. Fight, fight, fight. I'm very excited to get to the fight. But first, we're going to start with our boys, Lucian and Jerome. These dudes were buddies back in the day. They were war friends. I didn't know this. They're in the desert, and we see their dragon, a dead lieutenant. I took a stab at where this might be. Um, You're a pretty good history guy. Do do you know which war this might be that they're? Because I have a couple of guesses. Do you know?
1: It was really unfortunate because I was going to ask you.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, good. I got some answers. Um, It could be the uh, Algerian War, which took place in a bunch of different sections between 1830 and 1903. It's a possibility. It could be the Cretan Revolt, which was fought at the exact same time frame. It could be the Madagascar Expedition, which I think is like the best possibility because the time frame lines up best with that. Or it could be the Boxer Rebellion. Um, Really have no clue whatsoever, but it's going to be one of those four wars. When I looked up the history of France and their participation in wars... Those dudes are a bunch of warmongering and dudes. They're like always at war, 24/7 it seems, against somebody or another. So it was hard to pinpoint. <laughs> exactly. But these are the four wars that I saw that were fought in a kind of deserty climate, so it could be any of these. But our boys, you know, they're they're tired. They have been refused they haven't been refused, but they haven't gotten any supplies in in quite some time. And Lucian's plan is to take this dead lieutenant's clothes, impersonate the lieutenant, and Jerome will be the hero that, you know, brought the lieutenant to safety. Uh, Jerome doesn't like this plan too much, though. Um, He says they should wait for supplies. He's a company man. So, you know, that's what Jerome says. He also says, come back to reality, my friend. Which, of course, this show, we're not sure how much reality we're dealing with. And I thought that was a very interesting line that he told him to come back to reality. Um, I don't trust any reality in this show whatsoever, especially after this episode. Lucian feigns sorrow and then cold cocks the dude. And that's what happens. We hear that mutiny music, that clicking mutiny music in, like, Lucian's head as he decides to do this. And then he does it. And... Yeah, Jerome's down. Then we see those pyramids. You you must have noticed, like the um, anytime anybody wakes up, it's like that that pyramid kind of structure that forms in their eye. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool. Uh, <laughs> but at any rate, he gets those pyramidy eyes, and it's Mora again. Uh, Mora once again telling people to wake up. He wakes up angry. You ever wake up like Jerome just woke up. <laughs>
1: Oh, man. Pretty much every Monday through Friday.
0: <laughs> Especially at 2.30 in the morning when you got to get up.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: You're kicking Olick out of your way. Ah, ah!
1: Yeah. I was going to say Olick, oh, poor guy. <laughs> He's really getting the shit end of the stick in this, in this show so far.
0: Yeah, he is. And yeah, right here, getting kicked by his buddy. It was just an accident, though. Jerome didn't mean it. He was just flipping out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we got the four dudes here. Ramiro, Ike, Jerome, last dude. Who did we say? Olek, of course. So yeah, Franz and his mutiny boys come in. Um, he pulls Olek and Jerome out to be workers to dump the bodies overboard. And they don't want to touch them because they're afraid they might be diseased or something. So get these two dudes to do it. The superheroes. Because they are a team. Franz knows they're a team, so I put them together again. You know, why the hell not? Yeah. Sauce Boss is cool. He, know, he knows to keep the boys together. They'll keep each other in check, right?
1: Yeah, did you realize Sauce Boss's face is still dirty? Yes, of course I
0: did. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, now Oleg has a dirty face too, so maybe that'll uh, keep up for Olek's- a while. He's always dirty, though. Well, now he's bloody and dirty, though. At the end of this episode, he's got got a lot of blood in his face, too. So he might stick around for a while. Because they don't like to wash between episodes for whatever reason. No. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's pretty disrespectful to dump the bodies overboard the way they're doing. Like this, what do you call it? This uh, Osama bin Laden like when they dumped him overboard. you remember that whole ordeal? Um, <laughs> it's kind of a, a weird choice, but at the same time, I understand it because they're thinking if they're diseased, they don't want to catch this disease. I'm thinking quarantine the bodies perhaps somewhere and you know notify the families when you get to America. That'd be a nice thing to do, Franz. That would make up for some of the mutiny perhaps, but he's just going to show up with a bunch of bodies short and have to explain that they dumped them overboard. I didn't like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But okay, so we leave with that, and we go right to our intro. And I spent this time trying to look for clues in the intro segment. Don't know why, I just thought it might be fun. And I didn't come up with much, but I did come up with two things. I'm still taken by the fact that we see like a, a vertical slash of water and then the boat comes through that vertical slash of water and it seems to be like floating in midair I think that's a striking image that is kind of making sense to me the more and more we go on here and then the other image I looked for was the one shot of Mora getting uh, drugged in her neck um, I think it's a good reminder that this could all be drug induced somehow, or this could all be Mora's psychosis, perhaps. I just kind of picked out those two images of the ones that struck me the most that kind of make the most sense with what's happening now.
1: It's all just a big LSD trip.
0: In a cool tune, too. Let's see, at this point, let's see, after the uh, intro there, we go right to the mutineers. They're forcing people into their cabins. And Morris says something along the lines to the boy of, you know, they won't hurt you. They just want to turn the ship around. I don't think the boy bought that. No. He doesn't have a lot of expression, but I could kind of tell by the exp- the slight expression on his face. He was like, Mm-mm. <laughs> you're wrong, Mora."
1: It really bothers me that he hasn't spoken a word yet.
0: Yes. Same here. I was really thinking that, well, getting ahead of myself, the end of this episode, that would have been the perfect time for him to say something. Uh, But it didn't happen. So who knows when it, or if it ever will happen. Uh, She leaves at this point. She's like watching the dudes out in the hallway. We don't know why she's leaving at this point, but she's going to try to find Ike. But that's the reason that she left the boy in the room, which I
1: thought was a pretty poor move on her part. I agree. Not not very motherly of her. Because at, the, at, the, at this point, I feel like we're supposed to just in a way assume that she's taken a motherly role. Yes.
0: I would definitely say so. A protector, if anything. Yes. So our next scene, we're back up on the bridge. And we get some information from Neville Longbottom here. The Prometheus is gone. They can't find it. And, you know, Franz is like, where is she? Where is she? At first, I thought he was talking about Mara. He was asking where she is. He was asking about the Prometheus. They, they're just amazed that it's gone. Also amazed that their compasses now work. Also amazed that they're back on course where they originally were when they made that turn, which all sounds like pretty good news, right? I would think so. It doesn't seem like they're really thrilled by this news, but I mean, it sounds all good. Like, hey, we just made up a, made up some time. We're facing the right direction. Franz, sauce boss, full power to the west. Which you know, I can't blame him. Get there as fast as you can, buddy. I mean, not that I agree with some of his motives, but I do agree with. Let's just get these people to New York. I'm I'm with them there.
1: Yes. The people yes, in Definitely.
0: Yeah. People down in third class are questioning Sebastian at this point because he, at this point of the show, is down there with them. Um, He tells them about the sink ship message. And I know how to say sink ship in German now. Ship sinker. That's (laughs) that's what he said. (laughs) That's more German than I know. Yeah. Now you know how to say ship sinker. That's sink ship apparently in German. So he tells them about this message and he also kind of plants the seed in their heads at this point that he suspects it was the boy that is the main cause of this. The boy is the one who's causing all the deaths there and now here too. And as Tove is listening to this, she's supposed to be the translator. She doesn't like this assessment about the boy. So she, as a translator, kind of clams up and doesn't want to spread that information to everybody else. Crester is quick to the punch, though, to let everybody know it's the boy. We need the boy. It seems like they need, like, a nice, um, a, a central figure that they can all unify on, that they can, like, agree about to make some sort of decision. It's like they're grasping at anything here. So... Why not the boy? He's a weirdo. (laughs) There's a lot of mystery. They say that the devil, this is weird though. This this is the mom of the the bunch. She says the devil wears a dress in the devil, but the devil is not going to get his way. So that's kind of a little, a little backwards with the gender there, but I noted it because it, it stuck out to me. Um, so we got people switching sides here. Tove and Crester. like just with this little piece of information, it seems like the two of them like divided in a way and switched up. Because at first, remember, Tove was in charge of the mutiny and she was all gung-ho. As soon yeah. as they started going after the boy, she immediately backed down.
1: It's that budding motherly instinct.
0: Yeah, yeah. It makes totally sense. And I'm pretty sure that if I existed on this boat in 1899, I would probably be on Tove's side there too. I would never think it's a good idea to kill a person to sacrifice the rest of us. I think that would be a really rash, weird decision, especially if you don't even know if that's going to pan out. You're just like, well, maybe we'll just go ahead and kill this guy and the rest of us will be saved.
1: That doesn't sound like a good plan to me. That's fair, but I mean... It's uh, it also makes sense. I mean, from the mo- from the most basic level, because it's the least common. Is it, is it the least common denominator? Is that how you say it? I think it's the. I think he is the most common denominator to all these things. Oh, the most common denominator. Then, um, he's really like the only thing that's changed since going to the Prometheus. So I can kind of see where they would just want to get rid of him i mean he's a child so i know that we have that stigma of don't kill a kid but Mm -hmm. if he was a 40 year old man or a 40 year old woman i don't think that it would be necessarily that hard of a decision
0: like a 40 year old man such as daniel perhaps because daniel is another um he's in the exact same position as the boy except for people just don't realize it they don't realize that he came from that boat too
1: right right
0: wet man. well i'm sorry wet man is is his common name that we know
1: him by <laughs> yes please
0: so this group is the zombie boy killers they want to go out there and sebastian like founded this group and he's joining in with them now so sebastian is kind of like switching sides here too um yeah i've already iterated that tove does not want to be part of that side it's clear we get a quick shot of Eric I'm sorry, Ike and Ramiro in the brig getting Ike unchained. Ramiro at first looks like he's just gonna kinda tap at that thing and not really be much help, but he does a mighty heave and and gets Ike out of there. Good job. Well gets him out of the cuffs anyway, or out of the pipe. I was afraid that some like either water or some poop was gonna come out of that pipe when they did that. I
1: yeah, I was kind of waiting for for a whole other issue to start. but
0: <laughs> Or steam. I mean, those pipes are carrying something. They're not just empty yeah. pipes for no reason. I, well, I take that back. They have that whole, they have a lot of stuff on the boat they're not sure about. So this pipe is like the least of our worries.
1: <laughs> Very true.
0: But we just get a quick shot of those guys just to let us know what they're up to. But then the other two of that crew, Olik and Jerome, They're up on the body pile up top for whatever reason. I mean, of course they're not liking doing this at all, but the first choice, the first corpse they grab is of Ada, the young girl. That's the first one they throw overboard. And I think that that is not a good idea. You want to pick up the biggest corpse first, heave that over and then get the next biggest corpse, heave that over and work your way down so that like, you're going to be tired after all this crap so that when you get to the kids at the very end, it's like a treat. It's like you can do it with no problem. I've worked smarter, not harder.
1: i I can appreciate that, but she was dead first, which oh. look, a little side note for everybody. I absolutely despise, looking at corpses in movies, because as someone that went to mortuary school, Mm. uh, these are not what corpses look like. (laughs) (laughs) And watching Ada rest peacefully on top of a pile of bodies and not seeing her all purple and green and twisted, well, she wouldn't probably be green yet, but they just didn't do her. They just didn't do the real, they're so realistic with so many things. Mm-hmm. And it's just they never pay attention to the corpses. <laughs> so that's my tangent.
0: I don't know if you if you heard what, um, when Heather joined the podcast and we were talking about the same little girl, Ada, when she was supposed to be laying dead there on the deck when the sauce boss, Franz, discovers her. I couldn't tell if she was dead or not because it looked like she was just you know, laying and staring up at the stars because she had like a fixed gaze. I think they did a very bad job. Um, I think it was Heather that pointed out they did a bad job of directing that girl.
1: Unless it was on purpose.
0: (laughs) You never know. (laughs) Jerome starts giving a mean face. He's looking over to the guys that are holding him captive and he's all mm, giving him the mad face. But then he sees a corpse that looks a little bit more like a corpse. It's the corpse somehow of that lieutenant and the corpse opens his eyes. That sucked. I didn't like that. It was good. It was effective. It scared me. And that's why it sucked. <laughs> it was a very good, well-directed scene. Um, Jerome panicked and he is pretty good at panicking too.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's all he does.
0: <laughs> After that scene, Jerome does his panic and I think Olik is kind of helping him out, getting him calmed down. Just like Olik. Calm down Ling Yi earlier. He's a nice guy to be around. Olick. I'd work with which, him for sure.
1: Which side there? We didn't see her at all.
0: Oh, we did. Their room got ransacked. Just checked out to make sure that the boy wasn't in there. So we did see them briefly.
1: All right. That's fair. They I were in there just is.
0: enough so that like when you look at their IMDB, <laughs> it'll show that they were in all eight episodes. They do that sometimes for actors. Just give them like a real slight... You see him for five seconds just to make sure they can be part of that episode and get that paycheck. I support that. But we're going to go down to Lucian and Clements' cabin now. There's some tension here with this honeymooning couple, this young lovering couple from Paris. <laughs> um, Clements is questioning him because he was out last night. Um, there's this weird vial that she found. So, you know, she's not questioning him like a you know, in a mean derogatory way. She's just looking for answers. She's really patient. Uh, and he's being a real dick. I mean, I don't know if that's cursing or not. I might bleep that, but yeah, he's being a total dick here. Um, There's mutiny happening and he's like being tight lipped with her. And... Th- <laughs> no matter how bad your relationship is or no matter how much of an enemy you are with somebody, if there's something like that happening on a ship, kind of snap out of it and get into survivor mode. And Lucian is just too wrapped up to do that, I guess. So the vial we found out, potassium bromide, and it's for his epilepsy. We've already figured that out. He tells her that, you know, once you have everything, life smacks you in the face. He's being all pouty. But we kind of see why he's not having success with some sex because it's the the potassium bromide that's causing impotence. And he says he has weeks left to live. I don't know if he's exaggerating about that or if he's just being a, a hypochondriac, but epilepsy doesn't cause early death. I think even back then it didn't cause early death, did it?
1: No, not as far as, as I know. I mean, you die from complications of the seizure itself, which is caused by the epilepsy, but the seizure is ultimately what gets written on your death certificate, complications of seizure. So, I mean, if someone's going to watch him and roll him on his side, right? give him this medicine, He sh- unless... Unless the medicine is what's killing him. I know. I don't know.
0: I don't either. Okay. But yeah, you're so. right. I think that was the old school way of dealing with epilepsy is putting like a piece of wood in their mouth so they wouldn't swallow their tongue. And yeah, if nobody's there to do that and there's no like Ling Yi there to kneel next to you and help you out. Yeah, I guess you're kind of screwed. And he hit this from Clements. Hmm. I'm not sure that she is playing a game or not. Like episode one, she was making all these facial expressions and just the way she, just her vibe. I was thinking that she was trying to game him for some reason, but I don't think so anymore. Her vibe is very concerned. Her vibe is very, you know, let's help each other out just because we're together. Like, why the hell not? Seems like, I mean, I know she's kind of a, a suspect because she seems like there's nothing to suspect, So it seems like she could be a likely one. And those triangle earrings (laughs) are a clue. (laughs) But I've changed my mind about her.
1: I definitely get the vibe from her that she is just kind of playing dumb. And it makes me think that maybe Lucian has a bigger part to play in it than everything. And she's just watching him to see when she can Mm. unfold whatever plan she has but also maybe she's just the other half of a terrible marriage who knows
0: (laughs) likely (laughs) (laughs) well yeah Virginia kind of has that same like outlook too like whatever rolls I'm gonna roll with it and come out on top so maybe Clements is sensing that here too I don't know but yeah, she, he finds that star that, uh, what's his name? Jerome brought to his room earlier. Freaks out, starts choking our girl. She is like, oh my God, that hurts. So he, as soon as she says that hurts, he immediately stops and apologizes and leaves. So I, th- I hated it when he started choking her. I liked it when as soon as she said stop, he stopped and apologized and removed himself. So he gets like maybe a eighth of a point
1: <laughs> at best. <laughs> yeah. We'll give him the tiniest bit of credit. <laughs>
0: he apologizes for every shitty thing he does. I don't know if you've noticed that. He apologized yeah. to the, the dead lieutenant. He apologized to Jerome, apologizes to Clements. But he still keeps doing these shitty things, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently, Mara gets caught snooping around. We don't see her get caught, but we just learn through dialogue that she was caught snooping on her way to the captain's quarters. But hey, sauce boss, I'm the captain now. That's what he said to Mara. Do you remember when he said, "Is this joke getting old?" When he, when he said to Mara, "Look at me, look at me, I'm the captain now."
1: Yeah. No, I appreciate that joke. <laughs>
0: I do too. That's why I keep going back to it, but I need to stop. It's a crutch. Um, Franz has got everybody grounded. Stay in your cabins. Probably the best thing to do. I really hope he's going to be serving them meals and drinks in their cabins because he's locking them in there. I don't know if they have bathrooms or not. I, I don't know. Not a, not a great plan. But I do like that Mara says, to, I think i pretty sure it's Mara that says to him that you're a little boy toying with power. Oh, I liked it. And then we got MacGyver in the next scene. Ike MacGyver. He somehow manages to get his way out through this huge grate on the side of the wall. I, I love in TV and movies how there's giant grates that two people could easily get inside and walk around in. Or like the the vents in my house are like, you know, these standard four inch by eight inch. I mean, normal vents. Yeah. Ike's not getting in that vent, but on the boat, they got these giant ones. So he's manages to get through there, which is pretty nice. Again, that's just another quick scene before we get to the real deal. Anchor. We're back down below and anchor is holding Ada's doll. He's definitely in a lot of uh, a lot of pain. Um, He says that God doesn't want to talk to him. He only wants to talk to her, being the the blonde-haired wife. Um, He kind of believes her, but Tove clearly does not. Um, She's just not on board with this whole plan. And then Anchor touches her belly again. She gets her belly touched a lot. And just, you know, people out there... It's not really that great to just to grab somebody's belly who's pregnant, like ask for permission first. Nobody does in this show. They just grab her belly and just start doing it. But he touches her belly again and says, it's the light inside of her. It's God's child. And this is part one of where Steve's theory comes from. I have a pretty interesting theory that I'll touch on later. But this is the first thing that caught my ear was he said the light inside of her and that it's God's child. God told the mom that the devil is going to come and take everything away. So they've been warned that something is going to happen, and it looks like something is happening now. So I want to talk a little bit about Anchor, but we're going to take a break before I do so. So Nate, we'll be back in just a minute, okay? All alrighty? And we're back with Sweet Shot of Time, still talking about episode four, The Fight. And I wanted to take a brief moment to let our listeners know that we'll be back on season two of 1899, but we don't know when that's going to be. In the meantime, Wheel of Time season two is starting up in quarter one of 2023, which means myself and James the Marshland Monster will be back doing our Wheel of Time recaps. So in the meantime, if you're still subscribed or followed to this channel, I invite you to watch Wheel of Time and keep listening to me and James. We're going to be doing the same thing that me and Nate are doing, except with Wheel of Time instead. So if you have any interest in that, please join us. Otherwise, please join us back here when Season 2, 1899 starts up, and we'll be right here with you. Sweet Child of Time, 2023. All right. Welcome back, Nate. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Ahoy.
1: <laughs> <Ugh>.
0: <laughs> What's up, man? Am I Am I upsetting you?
1: <laughs> no. No.
0: I wanted to make mention of this guy, Anchor, real quick. The actor who plays the individual also plays Tom Marilyn in the Wheel of Time TV series. So it's kind of cool we got a couple of tie-ins with our podcast and with these two TV shows. We got this guy, Anchor, very distraught individual in this show, 1899, super religious, very serious. He doesn't look anything like himself in The Wheel of Time. In The Wheel of Time, he plays a gleeman. He goes from village to village, playing songs at inns, um, entertaining children, juggling. He did a wonderful performance of of an in- a uh, in series song called the man who can't forget and it's in, it's in season 1 episode 2 of wheel of time where um couple, couple of our characters go to an inn and there is our man playing this this dirge this minor so, this minor key song this beautiful like forlorn just sad song it sounds like a chelsea wolf song or something he's got the best voice he plays guitar amazingly well you know it doesn't play guitar amazingly but he's really good at the at his style at his particular style so if you like anchor i think you're gonna like tom Marilyn in the wheel of time he's a completely different character let's get back into haggier here we are with sebastian Sebastian is leading the zombie boy killers over to room one zero one one because he knows that's where Mara has been keeping the guy. Weirdly enough, Mara arrives at the exact same time because she has, you know, sauce bosses getting her back to her room just to keep her quiet. So we get a meetup here between Mara and the mom. I wish I remembered her name. I remember anchor's name. I don't remember her name. I never wrote it down, but y'all know who I'm talking about. The crazy, crazy blonde haired mom in this show. Um, She's for some reason says search her and Crester reluctantly searches her, gets the key off of her. They go inside. The boy is not there. Sebastian even checked under the bed. He looked. I saw him look and there was no boy there, but the mom is not happy. She's like pointing the gun around like, where is he? Crestor jumps in. It's like, what are the good things Crestor does in this episode? Crestor pretty much sucks this whole episode. But at this moment, he's good because he's getting in front of Maura saying, hey, mom, it's the boy's not here. Let's go look for him elsewhere. What are you doing? She fortunately listens to him and they go on. But she, she's on a total manhunt for that boy. She wants blood. Um, when they leave... Sebastian is the last one out. And he and Mara kind of share a look, and he looks back at the bed, then looks back at Mara, and then leaves, which I thought was
1: bizarre. He knows.
0: Yeah, but, why, but he wants the boy dead. So if he knows, then he knows. I mean, it's like <laughs> I don't see any reason why he wouldn't do that. Why'd he prolong it? Because he's absolutely looking for the boy. Any guesses?
1: Because I don't. (laughs) Well, Sebastian is a company man, right? Right. Maybe he's getting some letters from the company we haven't seen yet or we haven't picked Mm. up on.
0: Or maybe he's trying to keep those hatches a secret. Maybe he knows about those hatches, but he doesn't want to let on to everybody else that he knows about
1: them. True, because then the mutiny would be against him. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Which it could rightly be if they knew that he was such a company guy.
1: So, next tangent, real quick. Yeah. Uh, I just want you know. It also bothers me the absolutely terrible gun safety in this show.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> I'm seeing people. I'm seeing people with their whole hands pretty much around the barrel of a gun like wrapping their fingers up on it. Oh, they'll yeah, burn their yeah. fingers up. Yeah. Burn. <laughs> that bothers me so bad watching them.
0: <laughs>
1: well, you but bring that. The,
0: yeah. You bring that up and that's questionable to me too. Why there's so many dang guns on board. It seems like there's enough guns for everybody to have one. Yeah. Well, wait. wait, why didn't I even think of that? Where did they all come from? <laughs> what? I don't know. The only thing I could think of is that, Maybe they keep the ship heavily armed, just in case of like pirates or something, because it's like eighteen ninety nine they don't have great security, so when they're out there on the ocean they're pretty much all alone, so maybe they keep a stockpile of guns just for a, a emergency cavalry in because I mean, pirates existed back then. pirates exist today, so that's a distinct possibility hmm. Hopper agrees. can you hear hopper barking? I sure can. <laughs> Let's get back on hand here. Um, right. They they all just left, and Mara's in the room by herself, and she's having a little panic attack. And she has her self soothing mechanism where she takes her necklace and she rubs her necklace, and that usually calms her down. As she's doing so, though, she hears some knocks, and it's it's the boy. He's got that, that little hatch. He does a little quiet thing again, like telling her to be quiet. Um. He looks worried. He has a worried face because there's people with guns. So I don't blame him for being worried. Next, because we're moving on to the belly of the ship at this point. This scene is our comic relief mid-moment of the episode when my man is wearing a garlic necklace for protection, shoveling coal, has a hilarious conversation that... He's seen pictures of werewolves, therefore they exist and they can probably fly. And I really think that they're burying some facts and with the jokes with these guys, because when you see these guys, you kind of like take a breath and you're like, ah, oh, I don't have to think about the mutiny anymore. I'm just going to have fun with this dude because the dude is fun. No doubt. Yeah. I think there might be a little bit more to this werewolves and vampires. I would not be shocked if they came back. Um, I like his comparison. Like, I've never seen Russia, but I believe in Russia. I mean, that kind of shut the other guy up.
1: (laughs) Also, I think that that statement right there Mm -hmm. is probably one of the most important statements of the whole show up to this point. Okay. Keep going. the, ba- the, the first thing that will come to mind is you don't see the Prometheus anymore. But you right. knew it was there. You believed it was there, but now it's not there. When we discussed that in what the very beginning of this episode, they're, oh, it's gone. But everyone knew it was there. Okay. So, and then that connects very well to the very ending of the episode which we'll get to I I just I I think that that's that's probably one of the most important statements right now just Righto. as as a baseline thing without trying to get super in depth with it
0: I mean no nah, that's what we're here for I like it I like it that he offers his buddy a necklace too he's like I can make you one too you yeah <laughs> Um, Daniel slips through at this point though, with his pea coat. He's trying to be a poser. He's trying to be like Ike with his jacket. Have you noticed that? Yes. It it ain't working, Daniel. It's, I'm sorry. It sounds the
1: same. Nah. Wet, wet man.
0: <laughs> well, one thing Wet Man's got above everybody else is he's got his machinery. He hacks into the mainframe here, like literally, and has his little device. Plugs that sucker in. Does some like steampunky stuff and get some valves set. He's definitely doing a thing, right? These are like objects. He has an object in his hand with physical wires, and he's making something physical happen with those things. It's required for him to go down to the steam room with his little doodad and plug it in. And the reason I'm stressing this so much is because everything else seems like it could be not reality. But this kind of grounds things into more of a semblance of objects, like actual objects. Like if he wasn't able to plug that thing into that thing, then there would be a disconnect somewhere. I don't know if that's like representative of like the spinal column or something, or if it's, I'm just trying to say that I, I strongly believe that this is like a purgatory situation. This whole ship But that can't be the case if Daniel is actually plugging in physical objects to other physical objects.
1: You follow me? Yeah, but it makes me think of like a matrix theory, I guess. Mm -hmm. You can do all those things. You can do everything in the matrix, Mm -hmm. but there's something outside of it. So everything in the matrix is tangible and there are ways to connect to the outside, from within. So, it's real, but it's not real at the same time. Okay. I I think... uh, So, a super basic comparison could be something like, uh, like a feature in a modern video game. So, in the game, you have to solve a puzzle mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm. So your, your character in the game is solving the puzzle. And if you get the puzzle, let's say you get it incorrect in modern video games, there's a signal that goes to your controller and it'll vibrate or it'll make some kind of noise. So something from within that video game is transmitting a signal to something hmm. even bigger Something like
0: that, yeah. And just the fact that you're saying video game, and I'm thinking about that device in his hands. It looks kind of like a game in a way. Very steampunky, though. I've, I really, yes. I really appreciate that. I'm sure those purists out there are loving this show. Yes, man. Okay, I like. Damn, I give you more to think about. Let's go back to Olak and Jerome, though. Um, Jerome is trying to plan an escape and. Through their language barrier, they kind of get the gist of each other. Olick plays along. Not happy about it, but he does. Jerome does manage to get away. Um, it's a kind of a shitty plan, but it kind of works in a way. Almost gets shot, but he doesn't. Yet. <laughs> um, he's pursued by the armed guard and starts having a flashback. But it's interesting that the place he runs for shelter is Lucian and Clements' room he must know because he's been to that room before that's where he goes. And he knocks on that door. So I don't know if he maybe is, I mean, to his mind, Lucian and Clements are in that room. So I guess he was prepared out of desperation to, to run into Lucian there and be like, Hey, I know you hate me and, sh- but shh, sh- you know, <laughs> be quiet for a second. Um, well, I guess it's the other way around. Jerome hates Lucian. Lucian's just trying to forget about Jerome but I just I just just wanted to mention that was very interesting that's the room he chose she lets him in she being Clements lets him in and uh, he gives her the quiet sign just like the zombie boy did so you're thinking that maybe that Jerome and zombie boy are the same person because they both give the same quiet sign hmm Mm. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Jerome's not nearly as scary. (laughs)
0: That's a very, very loose theory based on nothing. But that's that's what I thought about when I saw that. I thought about the little boy. Um, Clement's kind of low key wants them to stick around. She likes him. I mean, that vibe is impalpable or palpable or whatever you want to say. He says something along the lines of he's seen people take power who don't deserve it and it never ends well. Is he talking about Lucian?
1: He's, uh, I want to say no, I want to say it's probably just a, you know, horrors of war kind of thing.
0: That's what I thought the first time I watched it. But like the second time I watched it, I started thinking, yeah, that's exactly what Lucian did. He was a low key, low rank soldier. And then he took a power of position, a Lieutenant. And obviously he carried on that facade of being a Lieutenant and faked his way into a marriage with a rich girl. So, whoa, you okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I saw light changing colors over there. I didn't know if you lost power by chance.
1: No, no, we're good. All
0: right. But yeah, I believe he's talking about Lucian, but, um, they're on the way, or I should say, Jerome is determined to go free the captain and get things going right. Clements is immediately in. They have like this, marvel movie moment it's like a team up um they're a team now so jerome's ditched olick for clements for the moment just for the moment though i I think they hook up they being him and olick hook up later but for right now they're going to get the captain first though we got franz the sauce boss though we're going to kick down to him questioning olick quite harshly they have olick in the bridge and he's you know, interrogating the guy and Neville Longbottom looks pretty uncomfortable with this. You can tell that they're not thrilled with the way that Franz is handling all this. Um, Sebastian comes in, he's on our side. There's a lot of side talking on this episode, but this is the first time that we hear the, the soldier tell us that, you know, Sebastian's on our side, whatever the zombie boy kill aside. um, But Sebastian kind of lays the reality down to the group and just lets Franz know exactly how bad he screwed up here by arming all these people from opposing countries with weapons on a gun on a ship for five days. And what a terrible idea that is. And I think you kind of see Franz's face and he's kind of like, huh, (laughs) I didn't think about that. And speaking of manhandling, we got a lot of manhandling. Lucian manhandled Clements. Franz manhandled Olek. Well, I guess there's a lot more than just that. But Redbeard, in this next scene, the little redbeard Danish dude, manhandles Virginia. And she, <laughs> she ain't liking it. She doesn't look scared. She looks like she's taking names and remembering. Like, she's, she's going to remember this red-haired guy. And I can already tell you, Next episode, maybe episode after that, this guy's going to have an unfortunate accident.
1: She's peeved.
0: Yeah, nobody talks. Don't mess with Virginia, son. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> but they're searching all the rooms, though. This is this is the scene very soon after this that we see them go into Ling Yi's room. And they're, they're going into all the... We're checking in with all the heavy hitters here. I saw, like, a Muslim guy. He was, like, dressed in Muslim guard. He's He's... Muslim garb and he's part of like the zombie boy killers and he kicks in a door like with just one kick, like everybody else is like having to do, like two or three, but this one side guy, we don't even know his name. He's just wearing like a really interesting headgear. I just love the way he kicked that door in and I don't know. Good job, buddy. That's I don't know. I don't <laughs> even know why I said that. <laughs> it's the most Great boring jump. part. The- yeah. They get to angels room. And, you know, Angel's compliant until some dude tries to steal his watch. And Angel immediately is like, hey, 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 hey. no, 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 no. You're not stealing my stuff. Crestor calls Crestor by name and asks for Krester's help. It kind of sucks the air out of the room because Crestor is exposed. He has to, you know, own up to his mom. Like, how do you know this guy's name? Mom... I mean, as much as Crestor sucks, mom sucks worse for many reasons. But here is, she says, the worst thing you can say to any kid is, I wish it was you that had died instead of Ada. That's uh, some pretty, uh... It's pretty rough. That's pretty rough stuff. He's going to remember that the rest of his life, I'm sure. Thanks, mom. I I, I drew a heart right there. (laughs) Next to that statement. (laughs) Uh, so, yeah, he's exposed. Um, he takes a bit too long to be the tough guy here. He kind of does like a too long of a weird weepy stare before he decides to spit in Angel's face, um, which was stupid. He was just trying to send a message, I guess, both to his mom and to Angel. Like to Angel, like nothing else is going to happen between us and to his mom. Like, hey, look, mom, I'm a tough guy. Love me, Please. <laughs> um, mom's not convinced though obviously I don't even bother trying Crester. I mean <laughs> it's no point she's gone buddy alright cut scene to Mara and zombie boy they're trying to get out of the room to go do some exploring and this is when he shows her his little scrappy the beetle trick he lets it scurry into the door and Mara keeps asking him questions she's hoping he's going to talk too just like you and me, we're hoping he's going to say something. She keeps asking him questions and he keeps not answering them. Her questions are really for us, the audience. Um, I guess that's apparent. If anybody's wondering why she keeps asking him questions, that's why. It's just to keep us, the audience, engaged. Because every time, every time that little boy does something, it raises two more questions, it seems. The next scene, Franz, the sauce boss, discovers that the captain is missing, that he's escaped. In the very next scene, we see Ikes does a little, his pops his head out the wall, does a little look around. That was hilarious. I mean, I don't know if they meant that to be funny, but it was funny.
1: They're trying a little bit harder with the comedy this episode.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, you said that this episode, um, you didn't get as much out of this episode than the others. But I think maybe that's why they threw these comedy scenes in there. Because they could have put that scene with the garlic necklace, I think, into any episode. I think this was a good episode to throw it in because it kind of shows you the crew is still working while everybody else is either mutinies or
1: they're all running around.
0: Yeah. Well, he pops his head out the wall. He's with Ramiro, of course, and he they quickly meet up with Jerome and Clements. And again, we get the sides here. We're on your side. We're the zombie boy lovers. (laughs) That's who these guys are. (laughs) We got Ike, Ramiro, Olick, Jerome, Tove, Clements probably, well, Clements definitely, and Mara. These are the zombie boy lovers right now. So they free Ike from his handcuffs. Ramiro, you're good at what you do, Ramiro, but you really made me nervous with those that those wieldy hits with a hammer. He could have easily like hit ike's like knuckles or like his wrist or something with that hammer yeah but he he did each of those each of those blows with like one mighty swing but i think he could have used a little restraint there but i think they're trying to show us this episode that Ramiro is tougher than we ever realized because he always seems really meek and like reluctant every scene up until now in episodes one through three he's always kind of been you know, just a reluctant passenger it seems, and we see that he can kick hard and he can hit hard, and, and yeah, he's he's part of the good guys.
1: I remember, he killed a man.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. So yeah, he's carrying that with him too. That's right. Yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of that because I didn't even think about that this whole episode. I was I was um, distracted by the mutiny. Um, they have a pretty good plan though. They plan to go seek refuge. On the Prometheus by a rowboat, which is an excellent plan, except for the fact that it's not there anymore. Uh oh. <laughs> There's no Prometheus to go to, guys. So.
1: Oh, Yeah. I was
0: going
1: to say, how does everybody know everything so quickly on this ship? And then that fact almost feels overlooked. What, that the. the uh, That the Prometheus is gone.
0: Well, yeah, none of them knew it, though. None of that. Like, unless they were, like, standing in the back of the ship, like, watching it be towed. And
1: another thing. The fog. Didn't the fog clear at the end of episode three?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, when he hit that button, yes. It is all back now in full force. They're in a completely different place, though. So, I, I I don't know. Maybe, um...
1: Well, if, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like if he can clear the fog then. Like, I kind of thought he would just keep it cleared. well no, I
0: I think that the fog we're seeing right now is like natural rainy fog because it's really rainy. The mm-hmm. fog we saw before was fake fog because Neville was looking at the deck and he said the fog just came out of nowhere. It just appeared and then he slowed the ship down. So I think that was fake fog, either brought on by Sebastian by pushing those buttons or by Daniel by playing with his little slotty thing. Gotcha. Oh wait. Like Daniel would be an excellent guy to like come by and help you with that microphone. Like he could come and I'm gonna give him a call and see if he can come by and uh, help
1: you out with that. All right, He's, He's I'll good. make sure to ha- I'll make sure to have some towels down there before he gets <laughs> here.
0: We're taking a break here, Nate. All right. We'll be right back, and we're not going to hang up this time. (laughs) (laughs) All right, back for that break with 1899. Our next scene here, we got our boy Lucian. He's returning to his room, and he sees that the door has been kicked in and that Clements is not there. He looks a little worried, but we find some information here. He's got a letter, too. I don't know if this is the first time we realize that, but Lucian's got a letter in his drawers and a gun. So he packs that gun up, just like Chekhov's gun. I think we're going to see that gun later. I almost guarantee it. I don't think so. (laughs) All right, next up we got Zombie Boy. He's back. He's making these, like, robot noises. I mean, it seems like those... Um, sound clues that are kind of robotic are attributed to him. It's not necessarily music in the background. So, I mean, I know he's not a robot, but there are some weird robot noises coming from him. Um, Scrappy's leading them down the corridor there. He leads them to a room and Crestor sees them. And at first, it looks like Crestor just kind of lets them go, but he went and knocked on them. But first... Mara and Zombie Boy meet up with Ike and the gang at the lifeboats. They're getting ready to go try to... I mean, thank goodness they didn't do this. I mean, it it would have been nice to be off the boat, but if they had gotten that rowboat to sail over to the Prometheus, and, well, it would have been a different story at the end there. (laughs) But no, Franz and crew show up, and... Crestor lets us know. He's our he's our mouthpiece here. He lets us know they just want the boy, the boy. The brave boy just steps up and goes
1: right to him. Did that surprise you? Um Yeah, I think so. I I didn't I didn't really see him you know freaking out or running or anything like Mm-mm. that, but I guess I was a little surprised that he very calmly just went over because what was that episode episode 2 like when Ike Ike comes at him and then he he freaks out and he oh. he makes he whimpers a little bit mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That's right. That's right. Kind of kind of expected to see a little bit more of an emotion out of him, but he was like, "Nope, it's just a regular Tuesday." Yeah. Big strong boy.
0: Like we see him like walking down the hallway with them. he's like leading them, so that that very much surprised me um I mean I liked it. It was a neat surprise yeah well, then Jerome though, our purveyor of justice, he doesn't like the looks of this he doesn't want to, he doesn't like the way that they're this is going down. It's not right. I mean I agree, of course. he goes for that hammer, gets shot by the sauce boss. And instead of dying, though, it's like he wakes up back in time. Um, He's been cold cocked by Lucian. We're going to pick right up where we left off on the first scene of the show. Um, Lucian is talking about how he can be somebody else now. He's going to be a lieutenant. And um, I'm sure that's probably how he scored Clements with some uh, lieutenant swag. (laughs) I
1: don't know. <laughs> Tom Tomfoolery.
0: Yeah. Um, he gives the medal to Jerome to trade in prison. Um, I guess it's kind of like a, a back-ass word, kind of like nice thing, like a, a consolation prize. Like, yeah, you're in jail. You're going to be like a, a war deserter now. <laughs> you're going to be fucked. <laughs> but here's a pedal. I mean, here's a pedal. <laughs> There's a pedal <laughs> on the ground right there. Here's a medal that... You can maybe trade for some smokes while you're in jail. <laughs> he was trying to be nice. He's Lucian needs to try a little bit harder to be nice in life. <laughs> um Jerome's to Jerome, this is like a replaying of the past. So he's saying things like, Why is this happening again? What is going on? And I'm wondering if if that is an exact replica of the conversation they had at that time, or if this is like the new modern Jerome inserting lines into the conversation. I'd like to see if we're not going to know one or the other, but just maybe think about that. He, uh, grabs Lucian and is almost able to, to get some stuff going on, but Lucian hits him one more time and he re-re-reawakens? Re, I don't know. Realizes he's been shot. That hammer is still right there. Chekhov's hammer. Something's going to happen with that hammer too, I bet. All right, next scene, we got Tove. And she is in the hallway. She's getting passed by the boy and the crew. This whole little parade procession going by with the boy leading them. She grabs Crestor at the end. And she's like, are you really going to sacrifice that boy? She's at when she says, "The are you really going to sacrifice that boy? At that exact moment, he glances down at her stomach. And I found that significant. That also added credence to my theory, which I'll tell you about later. Um, Crestor says that she, Tove, is blaming them for what happened to her. We still don't know what happened, but he's trying to... I don't know, tough guy are here and be like, hey, you know, stand up for yourself. Not everything is about you. It's clear they're now on different sides. I mean, they're supposed to be, I guess, brother and sister. And it seems like they've always kind of confided in each other. Even like when they kind of argued, they were kind of a team. And that's faded at this point. Yeah. All right, here we got Jerome's hammer comes into play. Not too much later, he uses that hammer to smack some dudes around and he busts the zombie boy lovers free. And we look around at this crew. We see like, we see our main people that we like. Everybody else in the background are like a bunch of dandies. They're all like the first class guys. They're all like wearing ties and they're all like nice women and stuff. And I'm like, good luck. Good luck with your fight. (laughs) I didn't like the team I saw. I do think that I would be there, down there with them. Not because I'm rich, not because I'm first class, but just because I align more with the zombie boy lovers than the zombie boy killers. I'm sorry, but I do. He's starting to grow on me a little bit. I hate to tell you, but he is starting to grow on me. But anyway, um, Clements and Jerome embrace... They, uh, Jerome then gives like a great stump speech, this anti mutiny speech, rallies the troops, works pretty good. Um, so we're out in the rain again. We're gonna switch scenes and we're back to the zombie boy killers. Uh, mom's out there giving her own like rally cry, trying to get the troops all riled up against the boy. Throw the boy overboard. Yay. <laughs> Everybody cheers.
1: <laughs> yeah, everyone's for it.
0: I mean way too into it. Um, then Mara shows up with the opposing team. I think they try to start saying a little something here, but it's not enough. The fight breaks out. And you saying you were saying something earlier about how you weren't thrilled about their gun safety. I am thrilled they're not shooting each other. They're just using those guns as like, you know, like a blunt weapon. They're not shooting each other. And I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy that Franz didn't say, open fire! I mean, they could have done that. They didn't.
1: Very true. Very true.
0: Everybody's fighting in the rain. This reminds me of the scene in... uh, I don't know why, but it took me back to the scene in Time Bandits when they're all fighting over the map. Um, But Mom the blonde haired mom, the boy and Mora all kind of lock eyes together. We go slow-mo here. This reminds me of like a Steve Barnes dream where everything's in slow motion and I can't get to where I need to get to in time. That's what happens here. Um, blonde haired mom takes and tosses the boy overboard. And my stomach, Nate sank when I saw this, like I got that feeling in my stomach, like, that, that, oh crap feeling like I was thinking about what Ike was saying, how, where we're at right now, it's 4,000 meters deep and, you know, the zombie boy is just calmly looking up at Mara, watching him fall. And it was a terrifying scene. Absolutely terrifying. um Daniel quickly whisks Mara away from the fight and... Uh, Jerome and Clements are united again. Embrace once more. Just in time for our boy Lucian to show up. And yeah, they're busted. <laughs> like Lucian whisks her away. And he's doing a little bit of damage control here. I don't like Lucian here. Because what he's saying to Clements is, don't believe a word that guy says. You know, he's a liar. So he's trying to, like, skew Clements' opinion before she can form an opinion, because we all know what Jerome knows. So as soon as Jerome tells Clements that, Lucian's immediately going to say, oh, that guy's lying. Didn't I tell you he's a liar, Clements? Look at that big lie coming out of his mouth. I would never impersonate a lieutenant. I think that's how it's going to go down. Mm. Well, Ike calls for a retreat, so they all retreat back to the bar and galley, and we can see that Crestor, like, both teams back, actually go back to their, their locker rooms to, to kind of reassess <laughs> the situation. Uh, one team goes to the bar, the other team goes back down below. Um, Crestor has not been in the fight. He instead has been down there praying. He's got his cross, and um, he's just been hanging out by himself. Um, I just thought that was interesting by the way Um, he is on the the zombie boy killer side but he wasn't actually participating in the killing he was just kind of being a poser posers yeah I tell you who's not a poser Olek is not a poser we see Olek and Jerome they're back together again like after this fight it's Olek who's bandaging up his friend Jerome and uh, you know making sure he's okay We got Daniel sitting with Mara as she grieves. Okay, I wrote down here, he didn't even fight it. It's like he knew it was coming. I didn't know what that meant at first, but of course I remember now. That's what Mara tells Daniel. She's just exclaiming during her grieving that she just just can't believe how it went down. The boy just went overboard. Um, They start to hold hands like a comforting thing. And did you notice like his left hand, his ring finger was really screwed up? Did you see that? No. If um, they w- they went to hold hands and they zoomed in on his hand and like, whoops, sorry about that. And where he would normally have a wedding ring, it was all like red and scarred looking. And Mara huh. kind of like rubbed her finger against it and kind of looked at him. It was kind of a little moment there before Ike inter- interrupted and came over and was like, I need to talk to you. Got a little uh, lover's triangle over here, if we will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ike doesn't seem like he's into love right now, though. He's just more confused and is like, look, I found that logbook. It had your name in it. Please tell me what's going on. Ike is like really flipping out about this. Um, He shows us that page again. I saw a couple new names on the page this time, also in the Fs. We had Mrs. Susan W. Frenton. We had Lieutenant Thos W. Fisher, and then we had somebody named Miss Eleanor. So I just happened to notice those names on the list too. Um, Ike looks pretty pissed, doesn't believe her, but the Prometheus and the S- Ker- Kerberus, excuse me, are identical ships. So we're here in the bar area and we see the bar and we see the cabinet is exactly like the cabinet that we saw on the Prometheus So we start hearing a knock at those cabinet doors and we're immediately reminded of in the Prometheus when that banging was happening inside the Prometheus and then the boy was trapped inside there. Well, they hear the knocking. They're all looking at the cabinet like, what the hell is that? Everybody's concerned. And then we see that bright light coming out of the cracks of the cabinet. The boy appears. He's dry. He looks completely fine and everybody is like like gasping and surprised except for one guy daniel looks like he's like yeah here we go again buddy looks like he's just you know he just kind of looks on at this whole situation zombie boy obviously a zombie <laughs> at this point if he wasn't a zombie yeah. before he is now um he runs to embrace Mara. Beautiful. I mean, I loved it um, because he knows that Mara cares for him and he accepts her at this point. Like, love me, mommy. (laughs) (laughs) We play some Blue Oyster Cult to lead us out. Don't fear the Reaper. Um, I mean, this song kind of makes sense with this scene. I can see it. I was really hoping for a 90s song here, though. I was really hoping they would do the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s thing and they would play us like... I was thinking Nirvana's Heart-Shaped Box would be a good song to have here um, while he's opening that up. Or um, Man in a Box by like um, Alice in Chains. I was just trying to go for the 90s. Blue Oyster Cult is great and it's fine, but just wasn't exactly what I was expecting. But I wasn't expecting the boy to show up either. I think that... I'm going to tie this back in now. I'm going to back up to when Crester glanced down at Tove's belly when I told you earlier when she said something like, we got to find the boy. And he looks down at her stomach. I think the boy is Tove's kid because they talk about how he's the child of God and that the light is inside of her stomach. And then like the light comes out of the cabinet and the boy comes forth. It's obvious the boy is some sort of either angel or devil because it seems to me that this is a purgatory situation, which is why the Daniel machinery confused me. It seems to me that everybody on this boat was in that Prometheus on that logbook. Ike just grabbed the, the page with the F's on it. He didn't grab the whole book like he should have. We would have seen all the names. We would have seen every, I think that we would have seen everybody's names, a one for one. They went on the Prometheus. They all died, not by the boy, but they all died somehow. And they're now in a purgatory situation where they get a second chance. And the little boy is a key to that second chance, either to help guide them or not guide them. Daniel as well maybe Daniel's the the angel and the boy is the demon or vice versa but I, I really strongly feel that that all these characters died on the Prometheus and that they're now in a purgatory on this ship to try to see how they can write and either go to heaven or whatever Do you have any weird theories like that, Nate? Because I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes sense to me.
1: I can see what you're saying, but I'm almost fully convinced that this is a Matrix situation. Okay. I just don't think – I think that the way that everything is presented, that there's – it's obvious that there's a lot of mechanical hints that you're supposed to take. Mm Mm-hmm. Was like what Daniel does and Sebastian and things like that. And then pretty much being able to take the Prometheus and just blink it out of existence. I don't know. makes me feel like we're just in a big computer or something. Now wait, and this is just, they
0: didn't blink the Prometheus out of existence. They blinked the Kerberus out of where it was and they put it back on track.
1: So for all we know, the Prometheus right. is still there. Right. Same concept, though. We just mm-hmm. we just we just move things.
0: <laughs>
1: yep. Um, maybe maybe this is just a big game of Battleship.
0: <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> and wouldn't, that, hmm? wouldn't that be something? If at the very end, all you see is Zombie Boy and Ada playing Battleship.
0: That would be a lot of fun, actually. It'd bring back a lot of uh, memories.
1: <laughs> that would be that would be quite a twist, but it would be a huge kick in the nuts. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, especially if Ada was like, "Okay, B four. Oh, I got your Mara character. She's trapped." And then they would like make up little scenarios as they were playing the little kids game. Yeah. Like, oh, I got a. He's a war hero. He's Jerome. He's going to save the day. You know, (laughs) that'd be a wonderful ending. I mean, I don't know if it'd be wonderful or not, but storybook.
1: Definitely, in my opinion, it's some kind of Matrix thing. It's maybe it's just a big commercial for the metaverse. Mark Zuckerberg put this together.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they would not do that to us, man. These The people who make this show would not do that to us. They would rather no, die. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to move on to our letter portion of the show. Is that cool with you? Yeah. Right on. We got a letter this week from Jonathan from the UK. And I mean, I appreciate every single letter that we get, but this letter I appreciate and I want to spread the word because he sent me in a correction and that is what I'm looking for is corrections I don't want to be incorrect I want to be factual as much as possible so I do appreciate corrections don't feel bad about doing that because I want to know when I'm wrong Jonathan writes I was listening to the recap of episode 3 and just wanted to correct you on one thing the family in third class with Crestor, Tove, and Ada are Danish not Dutch Hey, case closed. I've been calling them Dutch this whole time, and he's absolutely correct. They're a Danish family, and every time it shows them, it says, you know, they're speaking in Danish. Um, I even went so far as to Google because I felt really bad. I was like, oh, I hope I didn't piss off anybody who's Dutch or Danish by like, you know, Miss, um, you know, country in them <laughs> or whatever you say but you know these countries are friends they're pretty close by each other they both start with a d a lot of people get them mixed up so i'm sorry i did that but i appreciate jonathan letting us know and if you have any corrections for us or if you want to write into us please do so uh, we're at Sweet out of time pod at gmail.com uh, the song we chose today is Hive Mind Hypnosis. A very appropriate song for today. Uh, it's by a fella named Void Master, written by Nate. Uh, another wonderful song. And go check it out on Bandcamp. That's where you can support Nate the best, is on Bandcamp. Or follow him on Instagram. Hey, I did your plug for you, Nate. You like that? Hey, Thanks. <laughs>
1: I can I can do yours, but if I butcher it you have to pick it up for me. Go for it. All right, you can find Steve and his musical <laughs> uh, shenanigans at at intro dot void. Yeah. At intro void on Instagram. hmm And you can find him at introvoid.bandcamp.com. dot mm-hmm. bandcamp Do you have bandcamp? Yep. All right. <laughs> um <laughs> And then for the podcast information, you can find us at sweet child of time pod on Instagram. That's right. And you can send Steve or myself, uh, all the wonderful things that I'm sure you guys have to say or not so wonderful, because I get a kick out of those. So please send them to at void.master and I will be happy to respond to you.
0: Heck, yeah. Well, that's another episode for this week. Nate, I wanted to definitely thank you because you've been a big part of the show and you've helped me learn a lot. And you're keeping me on track and you're teaching me things about recording here. And I'm very appreciative. Thank you, Nate
1: from Voidmaster. Thank you, Steve, for, uh, putting up with me, not knowing anything about anything and, uh, <laughs> messaging you before every podcast just about and going, I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. <laughs> and, and you just, you roll with it. And, uh, like I said, well, I'll figure it out at some point. <laughs> but uh, no, thank you for having me on here. It's a, it's a good time. I look forward to it every week. And uh, my only gripe is that uh, you won't let me watch more than one episode of the show at a time. I know.
0: I'm so sorry. Heather's, that's Heather's <laughs> <No>. gripe,
1: too. <laughs> no, that's all right. It makes it, it makes It fun, it makes it interesting. I'm not so scatterbrained then. And, uh, what, what, whoa, one more, one more thank you. Uh, thank you to everybody that listens and, uh, does take the time to write in. It, it makes me happy when Steve sends me a message that someone said something nice or, well, that's really all we've heard so far. So, still looking for that hate mail. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, thanks to everybody that listens and, uh, takes, takes time out of their day to to listen to us drone on about about 1899
0: and we'll keep doing it season two coming at you and th- yeah I gotta say thank you to our fans too Nate did a good job with that Nate and our listeners everybody out there find plenty of water and shade wherever you are we'll see you next week 1899 bye bye see ya man um i might cut this but here's an interesting hopper story he got out of the fence yesterday and he's usually really good about coming back usually all we got to do is just you know tell him we got a treat and he'll come back yesterday he got out and it was just heather here and he did not want to come back and she knows she tried all the new usual tricks and nothing was working he was set on not coming back and like the closer she would get to him he would run off kind of deal just being a real asshole being a real crester (laughs) (laughs) and um the way she finally got him is she eventually just said hopper come get me and then she turned around and ran the opposite direction and then of copper of course got excited and chased her and she just ran into the gate and he chased her in the gate and she gave him a treat
1: (laughs) good way to get your dog back my dog my dog was very much a If I got out, if she got out of the fence, she was like, Oh, it's time to play. Yeah. And she used to gallivant all over the place. And I, she was fast and kind of chunky and little (laughs) all at the same time. So I used to have to like, and we had enough space that we never really kept a leash on her, but like, she never she never it was only ever once in a while that she got out of the fence and we think it's probably cuz there was something on the other side she wanted to see yeah but uh i used to, i used to have to go like full ray rice on her like brian erlacher and like tackle her <laughs> oh god <laughs> to like tackle this poor this poor pitbull bulldog mix like i'm sure i'm sure my neighbors saw me like get all crouched up and just rock my dog and i didn't mean to but but like if you didn't she she would be out for the whole day until she was like all right it's time to come home i guess
0: yeah it sounds like our dogs would get along great then <laughs>